church. How are we doing this morning? All right. Well, good. Good to see all of you. We are in our vision series this morning. Uh, last week we began it. We'll finish it next week. And we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. So you can turn to Nehemiah on your Bible or on your phone or however you want to get there this morning. I want to remind you that uh, those verses are posted usually by Saturday, sometimes Sunday morning for all of us, if you want to follow on your phone and your app. And uh, we're excited to share this. We've been working at this, and we are pretty excited about Nehemiah and what he has to tell us, aren't we, Robert? Yeah, last week we talked about vision, how we get it, what it is here, the desire for real-life transformation. And um, today we're going to talk about plan. Now, with both of these and then the one next week, we're going to, on the website, have uh, videos from our four church planters, what their vision is, how they got it, what their plan is to see it affected, and what needs they have, as we'll be talking about next week here, um, what the needs are. But today, we're going to be talking about the plan, and the plan here is connect, grow, serve, and reach. How do you like the hip, hipsty doodle uh, that's a new little thing we're developing there. Do yeah, that's a new little thing we're developing out that's there. That's a new little thing. Yeah, is this exciting? It is exciting. Okay, good. Anytime <laughs> he goes falsetto, he's excited. So this is <laughs> this is good. But um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so we're going to be talking about plan. It says in Nehemiah chapter four. Now look, what we're going to do? We're going to read most all of chapter three. We're going to take parts of verses out, and we're going to show you why. But this is nothing but a bunch of names. Mm -hmm. So if you would be praying <laughs> now, we would appreciate that. You know, one of the great things about Nehemiah 4.6, it says we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Mm -hmm. They had a willingness to work because Nehemiah had communicated with them what God had planted in his heart, the blessings he had sent to make it happen, and the need that he had to see it finished. And so those are the three things. What has God planted in our heart? How do we do this thing? Mm -hmm. And what are the needs? Mm -hmm. And so here, look at the people who did the work in Nehemiah chapter 3. It says in verse 1, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priest. They built the sheep gate. Verse 2, Next to him the men of Jericho built. Next to them Zachor the son of Imri built. Verse 3, The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. Verse 4, next to them, Merimoth repaired. Next to them, Meshulam repaired. Next to them, Zadok repaired. Next to them, verse 5, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Verse 6, Jehoiada and Meshulam repaired the gate of, Ye the gate of Yeshana. Verse 7, next to them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite. Verse 8, next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hanani, one of the perfumers. Verse 9, next to them, Rephaiah, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, repaired opposite his house. Next to him, Hatush, repaired. Verse 11, Malchijah and Hashub repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. And next to him, Shalem, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Verse 13, Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. Malchijah, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired. Verse 15, and Shalem, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. After him, Nehemiah, ruler of the half district of Bethzer, repaired. 
And after him, the Levites repaired, and Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kila, repaired. And after him, their brothers repaired. Bavai, ruler of half the district of Kila. Next to him, Ezer repaired. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired. And after him, Miramoth repaired. And after him, the priests and the men of the surrounding area repaired. And after them, Benjamin and Hasab repaired opposite their house. And after them, Azariah repaired beside his own home. And him, Benui, repaired another section. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired. And after him, Padiah and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired. And after him, the Tekoites repaired another section. And above the horse gate, the priests repaired. And after them, Zadok repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah repaired. And after him, Hananiah repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam repaired opposite the chamber. And after him, Milkaja, one of the goldsmiths, repaired. And between the upper chamber of the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants Repaired. What are the odds we got all those names right, Robert? Yeah, none. <laughs> we should just call them Bernie and Harold. And... But there's a reason for reading those names. And we can easily get discouraged up in verse 5 when it's said, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Oh, look at all the people who did not show up. And all those people think they're too good. But look at the people who served. Look at the cross strata, the cross section of society, every economic strata that's represented here. You have the high priest in verse one, his brothers, the priests in verse one. You have the Gibeonites. Do you remember the Gibeonites? They're the ones who fooled jo- uh, Joshua and said, oh, we live a long ways off. No, they're there and they're now helping to build the temple. In verse eight, you have goldsmiths and perfume makers. Verse nine, you have the ha- ruler of half district of Jerusalem. And verse 12, you have the ruler of the other half district of Jerusalem. In verse 12, you have a dude and his daughters when we were running concrete in Parowan. Donna and Shekinah were in there just as much as Robert and the boys. And these ladies helped. Look, verses 14, 14, 16, 17, 18, and 19, you have rulers. 17, you have the Levites. That's the church staff. Verse 22, you have after him the priests, the men of the surrounding area. That's preachers from other churches. And verse 26, temple servants. That's church volunteers. Every strata of society is represented here, and they all came together for one purpose, to work together to accomplish the vision that God had sent through Nehemiah. So I want us to see here uh, that there is a strategy going on that Nehemiah has. He has a vision for rebuilding the wall around, uh, around Jerusalem, and we saw that and talked about that last week, and now he's developing a plan. It's one thing to have a vision, And it's the next thing to have a plan and a strategy to pull it off. Because if he could say, I just want to build the wall, and we also let's just go to it, well, it's going to be a mess, right? So he begins to develop a strategy, which is what we want to talk about today uh, at Risen Life. We call it Connect, Grow, Serve, and Reach. We'll develop each of these words a little bit this morning as we talk. But I just want us to see that Nehemiah sets out with a very deliberate strategy. And it's gathering all the people together, each to do their part. This is the beauty of what well, we call the body of Christ today, God's people in, in those days working together each from their various standpoint around the wall. And, and you kind of wonder what brings all these different people together? Like, I mean, perfumers and business people and merchants and religious leaders, all these people working together? Come on, who does this? 
right? And they were. And it's the purposes of God. His kingdom purposes draws like, look at us around this place today, right? I mean, who brings all of us together on a Sunday morning, right? It's crazy that we're all together here, right? But it's God's purposes that are way bigger than any one of us, all of us working together. And uh, Pastor Robert and myself and the team, we're more excited about what we can accomplish together than any one of us can do individually. Uh, That we are a team together as God's people, both as individuals in this church, but also as churches in the valley working together for God's kingdom. All of us aiming for that. And the, the first Corinthians chapter 12 gives us really some of these principles in the New Testament that I think is really awesome. First Corinthians 12, 14 to 16. It says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In verses 18 to 20, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it ours, we are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 to 24. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts and do not require. Now, one of the things we want us to recognize here is that there are no superstars in this. We're not trying to build, Nehemiah is not trying to build the best construction team he can find. He has goldsmiths on there who do not want to damage their hands. He has perfumers on there who know how things smell. They don't know how they're supposed to be built. But he has people who are going to come together from all different uh, occupations and strata of economic strata of society for the purpose of putting things together, building this wall. There are no superstars involved in this. We're not trying to build the biggest team, the best team, the smartest, the best, and the brightest. Who has God placed here? And friends, if you are here, if you have come here in the past 11 years, it is because you are the answer to our prayers. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into the field. You say, well, I'm not anything really big. None of us are. Nobody's anything really big. But if we can be faithful and work together, there is absolutely no telling what God can do as we learn to connect with one another, to grow in our relationship with one another and with the Father, to serve God by serving others, Hebrews 6.10, and to reach the community around us. God has placed all of us together for the purpose of accomplishing his vision, his way, and none of us are going to get to be the superstars. Yeah. So we want to talk, um, as we read this story, about these four words, which are our plan and our strategy for real-life transformation. Uh, We want our lives transformed. Now, here are four things we need to do, each one of us, and four things we need to do collectively as the body. And the first one is connect. Uh, This is a word that speaks of of a deep and rich uh, friendship uh, with people, uh, interaction with people, Uh, that has drawn us together by our purposes of serving God and working together for his kingdom. Uh, We've got to do this together. If you try to be a loner in this game of serving Jesus, you won't make it. We need each other. And we won't actually experience transformed lives unless we connect with each other. We need each other to be changed from the inside out and to be different as his people. And there's lots of ways to do this. A lot of ways to get connected in a church family and with other believers. We can do one-on-one in coffee shops or phone calls or texts. 
We can meet in community groups. We have lots of those. If you're interested in one of those and aren't in one, there's a whole list of them in the back at the Connections desk. Come on Sunday mornings. Don't leave here without saying hi to somebody new. Meet somebody new. You never find when, might know when you might find like a lifelong friend just by saying hi on Sunday morning. But we want to make sure we're connecting with each other. Uh, maybe there's hobbies you have in common. Maybe there's just your neighbors with somebody. But connecting with people is necessary in order to accomplish God's purposes together and to truly experience the transformation he wants us to experience. Let's think about serve for a minute. Now, serve, what's the difference between a servant and a slave? A servant has permission to say no. A servant has permission to have boundaries. And God has not called us to be slaves and tormented by one another. He's called us to serve one another. And as we serve one another, who are we actually serving? We're serving God. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget the labor of love you have shown him as you serve his people and continue to do it. As we serve one another, we are serving God. So what we're talking about by service is anything rendered to anyone around us for the sake of bringing God glory. He said, if you give a glass of water in the name of Jesus... That's a good thing, right? He recognizes that. He knows that that is for him and not for that person. But what, our question is, where, where are you serving? Where is your spot on the wall? What yeah. are you doing? What part of the wall are you at in community with the others working to get things done for the kingdom? And there are all kinds of places to serve. There's no way that we can say, well, there's just nothing to do here. Here's your list. We've got security, building needs, children's needs, prayer ministry, worship ministry, men's teaching, community groups, deacons, caregiving, greeting, hospitality, meals, maintenance, sprinklers, flowers, grass, and the list can go on and on. There's something for every one of us to be involved with. And if you're not involved in serving, if you're not walking with a community of people in service in this place, in the place that God has planted you, wherever it is, whether it's here or somewhere else, that's fine. But if you're not doing that contact us. If you'd like, you feel like God's called you here, contact us. Let us get you connected with ways that you can serve here so that we can together accomplish the vision that God's called us to. And if you don't see anything on this long list of things that fits you, what is your passion? And start doing it and find someone that likes to do it with you. Just make it happen. We were at a breakfast yesterday for our veterans that we had here at Risen Life. And it was amazing as we listened to a lady from the East Coast who had, been, who had come in to speak to us about the needs of veterans in our area and in actually the country and the opportunities there. And the list is really endless. Whatever your passion is, do it. What is it that you pray about? What is it that's on your heart? What is it that, that keeps you awake at night? Do those things and find somebody to team with you and make it happen. Uh, we don't want just like a list of things we should do, but we really want people with passions and go, just go do it. Um, and in fact, then find that person. So we put these two together, connect and grow or connect and serve. We find our place of service, but do it with somebody else. How do we keep going uh, in our service just alone? We don't make it. We need each other. In fact, I hope you just see this with Robert and I, that <laughs> each of us have our days that, they're, that are bad. We kind of pick each other up one after another, after another, another, week after week after week to keep going. We do it together. And across our ministry teams, we pick each other up. And so find your place of service, do it with somebody else so that you're allowed to keep going. He lets you keep going over the long haul. And you can, say, you can sit there and say, well, I don't know what I want to do. Okay, and we understand that. And, you know, we had all these things last week. 
what do you enjoy? What gives you passion? What do you pray about? What holds your attention? Where are lives being transformed as a result of your labor? But we can sit back and say, I still don't know what I want to do. So here's what we'd say. Give it a shot. Give something a shot. Call the staff. Where do you need some help? Okay, I'll plug in there and give it a shot. And if you don't like it, here's the deal. You don't have to keep doing it. Now, okay, look, here's you an example. I like bagpipe music. I know. I know. Do you know why bagpipers are always marching? They're trying to get away from that hideous noise. I understand. So I decided I'm going to take up bagpipe. I bought bagpipes. I bought a chanter, did the whole deal, went to, we were in southern Utah. They were giving lessons at the university down there. I'm going to go take lessons. And about two weeks into that, it's like, yeah, this ain't for me. <laughs> if, I had, if I had to listen to it this close, I think I'd go nuts. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work, sell your bagpipes. Get them at a good price. They'll sell well. But at least give it a shot to find out, is this something that I have a lasting interest in? Is this something I have a, a, a genuine gifting ability for? And if it's not, that's okay. Let's go give something else a shot. There's no harm, no foul, and there are absolutely no requirements. What, do you, what is it that God has called, gifted you to do? Let's get you doing that. So that's chapter three, and it's a fabulous chapter. And so often when we read a chapter like chapter three of Nehemiah, we look at all those names and we just skip by it in our Bible reading, right? I'm kind of in First Chronicles in my Bible reading, and the first six chapters are just a bunch of names, and I'm just going, 30 seconds, right? And you kind of look at this chapter, and you might miss it, but there is so much going on here, and so much that helps us see how we can connect and serve together as we do God's kingdom's work, building of the wall here. But now when we move on to chapters four to six, uh, it becomes an interesting story because suddenly Nehemiah faces strong opposition to the building of the wall. And it reminds us, I think, right, when we seek to live for Jesus, you seek to do his kingdom's work, guess what? There's opposition. It's called the world, the flesh, and the devil, right, that comes against us, and it gets discouraging. It's hard. It's a battle. Jesus said it'd be a battle. He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. It's going to be hard. And so we need to figure out how can we do this over the long haul, Robert and I talk about these days a lot. How, do we get, how are we going to finish well? How do you keep going? How do you, and we, we work with the young guys. You gotta, whatever you're doing in ministry and in your life, you gotta, it's got to be sustainable over the long haul. What are you building into your life to make it to the end? Because it's going to be opposed. You do anything that's worthwhile, you do anything for Jesus, promise you, you will be opposed. And that's what we're going to find here as we look at chapters 4 to 6. And look at the, look at the progression of the opposition. In chapter 2, it says, When Sanballat and Horonite, the, Tobi, uh, the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them. That's where it starts. Sanballat and Tobiah go, you know, we don't like this. But it steps up a notch in chapter 4, verse 1. When they heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now, that's the next step. First off, he's displeased. Secondly, he steps out and begins making fun of them. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. When these two, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and Ashdodites heard the repairing of the wall was going forward, they were very angry. Verse 8, here's what they did. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Well, when you start getting confusion about what it is you're doing, what you're mm -hmm. called to do, you can be assured you are experiencing spiritual warfare right there. That means you, you need to get some clarity. And look at the response. Here's the response when the threat is recognized in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. So here's what Nehemiah did. I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great 
and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. Verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Here's the solution. We need more connection. We need somebody working with us. There's another place where it says that he prayed. He said, we're going to pray. These people are coming against us. They're coming to destroy us. So we're going to do two things. We're going to pray, and then we're going to arm ourselves. They, they put feats to their prayers, right? Jesus said men ought always to pray. Oh, isn't that spiritual? But then he said, and faint not. And I like what Bailey does, Charles Bailey. Uh, he links those two, prayer with work, prayer with responsibility, prayer with doing something about it. And Nehemiah says we're going to, we're going to compensate for the opposition that we're getting by having greater connection. We're going to pray, we're going to prepare ourselves, and we're going to work at this thing together. And we're going to see that their aim of their jeering and their opposition was to get the Jews to stop working. Stop building the wall. That was the aim. Look at this. They gathered together, these guys did, and then the, here's what their aim. Look at uh, Nehemiah 6.2. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And here's the goal. Listen, 6.9. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work. It will not be done. But now God strengthened my hands. Verse 13. For this person, purpose, he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. Verse 13 again. So that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. And so they were trying to intimidate the Jews and to make them fearful so that they would stop working. Okay, that's what the opposition is trying to do. It's trying to get us to shut up, right? Trying to get us to stop loving and caring for people, to give up. You ever felt like giving up, right? Life gets hard. The opposition's big. The world's taking you down. You get afraid. There's not a Sunday, I don't think, in my life that I'm not a little bit afraid to come to church because I know God's at work there. We're in a fight for good. And I know that there's gonna be spiritual warfare going on. And this is why we need each other. This is why we need to stand together because there's opposition to our work. And listen, this is the number one enemy of the devil is fear. If we can just get us afraid. If he can just get us afraid, then he'll keep us from getting the work done. What was the first thing that landed on Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit? Why did they go hiding? They hid. We heard you coming in the garden and we were afraid. What did Jesus say? I've not, don't let your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. It says in Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And who are the first ones to hit the lake of fire in Revelation 21.8? You ever think about this? It's not the unbelieving. Revelation 21.8, now all these were thrown into the lake of fire. The fearful and the unbelieving, and then the long list. Why are fearful first? Because they are the ones too afraid to come to God and say, I have a need. They're the ones who say, no, I've got everything taken care of. No, friends, we have need. And that need is going to be met in Christ, in the company of believers. And what the devil wants to do is get us off by ourselves so that he can start tormenting us. How many of you have experienced spiritual warfare since you moved here? And there's some who go, well, I don't get anything about that spiritual warfare. That's okay. Vance Abner said, it might be because you're not doing enough to get his attention. Let's get busy about some things here. But we, we have had so many people over the years who come out and visit with us. And next morning they'll say, man, when do the dreams stop? Well, I've been here for 37 years, and they hadn't stopped yet. Kevin has never had a dream. Kevin has never had a dream. I'm going to say that one more time. 
cavity has never had, had a dream. dream. I just, well, didn't you have one cavity? Yeah, I have, yeah, yeah. You I had, had one, one cavity. cavity. Yeah, yeah. I've had one dream. You had a dream? <laughs> I had a dream. When did this happen? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, once in a while I have a dream. I just you told me you've never had a dream. Well, <laughs> we're going to talk once about this while, tomorrow, once man. Once in a while I, I, I have a dream, straight. but it's not like anything I remember. Oh. Okay. Okay. Never mind. We'll pick this up at lunch. Yeah, we'll pick not this up at lunch tomorrow. Not in front of all tomorrow. these people. Yeah, not in front of all these people. How many of you have experienced spirit? How many of you have experienced something to make you say, "I don't want to keep going. I, I'm going to quit." How many pastors have we seen move into this area over the past nearly 40 years who come here and they're going to make a difference and we're going to bring God to this place? And a year later, they're moving out because they just can't take it anymore. What happened? We get isolated. We get by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We think we're the only ones who can do this thing. Mm -hmm. And we forget that God has called us to do this as we connect with one another. Then we can adequately serve him. Yeah. Yeah, The resistance that we feel in living for Christ can so easily lead to discouragement and wanting to quit. I think all of us have felt that. All of us probably have even done that. I know in my life, my first year here, I did. I just quit. I said, I'm done. I can't do this. And... People like Robert and others said, no, well, you can't really quit. I'm not going to let you quit kind of thing, you know? So we need each other to pick each other up. But, but if we stop and if we just say, I'm not going any further, and I was even talking to friends this week that were kind of challenged this way. I don't know if I can keep going. But if we stop, um, what happens in the next generations? I had an aunt. I love this aunt. But uh, she got offended at church, and she said, I'm done going to church. Um, best I know, she's a Christian, loves Jesus, want to follow Jesus, but she stopped going to church about age 45, never went again the rest of her life. Guess how many times her kids go to church? They don't ever go. They know about God. They know about Jesus. They can tell me about Jesus. And guess what their kids, the kids' kids here, they don't even hear about God. And pretty soon you have a generation that knows nothing about him. See, And so we've got to fight to stay in the fight. We've got to keep going. We've got to stay in the fight. And we do that by staying connected and having people around us that pick us up. I need you to pick me up. I, you need me to pick you up. We need each other so that we stay in the fight to the end so we don't lose it uh, partway down the road. Now let's think about this issue of grow and reach for a minute. <clears throat> what, are some ways, what are some ways that we practically grow? Here's the sad news. Without the opposition of chapters 4 through 6, we are not going to have the healthy growth that comes, that should come to a healthy body. How do you get your muscles to grow? You've got to give them opposition. How do you get your waistline to grow? Give it no opposition. <laughs> Which do you want to grow? Right? And the opposition that comes to us in chapters 4 through 6, as difficult and as discouraging as they can be, They are the reality of what we need in order to help us grow in our relationship with God and with one another. And friends, they got the work done. In in Nehemiah 6.15, it says they got it done in 52 days because together they decided to serve. And in serving, they met opposition, which caused them to grow. And the work was completed because God was using all of these things together. In 52 days, it was completed. It was completed for a task, for a reason. Yeah. You know, opposition is a good thing. When you read through the book of Acts, guess what opposition did? It spread the gospel around the world, right? The Bible says it's kind of all joy when you fall into trials because it grows your character, 
Right? I mean, that's hard to do and hard to understand, but, but this is what opposition does. It causes us to grow. And so they kept going, and they built the wall. They finished the wall. And we have said that the reason they built the wall, we said this last week, was not just to have a nice wall. Walls are nice. We love our walls here. Keeps us the air the right temperature in here, winter and summer. We like that. But the purpose of having nice walls and nice air in here is not just to sit and be comfortable. It's to hear God's word to learn it and to grow it. And this was the purpose of the walls so that the Bible could be taught. But it's not just a Bible study in itself. It's not just going to church in itself. It's not even witnessing is not just a thing in itself. It's so that we would experience life change. We teach so that you and I will be changed into the image of Christ. That's the aim in everything we do. So as we begin to talk about growing and and speaking God's word, we gotta understand that that we wanna teach but we want to teach in a way that you understand and you grow and you be transformed into the image of Christ. And the purpose of the wall is to provide a place for them to hear the word. Listen to what it says in 8.2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Down in verse 7, he and others who were with him helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Friends, they gave application. This is the purpose of the mm-hmm. wall so that we can hear the word. It be given sense to us and given practical application in our lives of how we can walk this thing out. Saw something recently that said, information without application never leads to transformation. That's a mm-hmm. good line. Yep. And what the priests were doing, were giving practical application. This is what it says. This is how it applies. Now let's go do it. That was the purpose of the wall. And we have to remember that the wall is not an end in itself, friends. Building a big church is not an end in itself. Even having church plants is not an end in itself. Advancing the kingdom is the goal. And we do that by spreading the word, allowing the word of God to have its deep, penetrating work in our lives and the lives of others around us. And James reminds us of that in chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. He says, receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. God's word, the gospel taken root in our heart that we respond to it and we're saved. Then he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he deceives himself. He goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we want to be people that not only hear the word, but do the word. Let's not just go away and forget what we heard. Let's go away and, and talk to one another and be in community and figure out how do we live this out practically. Now, it's a really important gospel principle here. We, we need to be doers of the word, but it isn't the doing that saves us. Verse 21 says we got to receive the implanted word. We just receive it. That saves us. It's the gospel of grace personal faith in Christ that saves us. And we put our personal faith in Christ. We're made new. We are transformed. The Spirit comes inside of us. And now, out of being saved and having been placed in a right position with God, now we go to work as a response to grace, not the reverse. The reverse would be, I do good works, and therefore I experience grace. Wrong. (laughs) We experience grace, and then that changes us, and we go out and do good works. We cannot afford to get those two out of order. 
And when we receive Christ, when we confess the, him as, as Lord, that is receiving the word because it says in John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten son of God. When we accept Christ, we are living the word. We are receiving the word. We are confessing that he is Lord. And then it says in Colossians 2, therefore, as you have received Christ, that's the first step. We have to receive Christ. As you've received him, now walk in him. And we cannot afford to get labor and grace out of order. Grace always precedes labor. Grace leads to labor. Mm -hmm. Labor does not necessarily lead to grace. (laughs) We have to get these in right order. We must receive him so that now we can walk in him. And here's some of the ways. Look at what they did to walk in the word. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. All the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, here's what I want you to do. Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. And be sure, verse 10, do not be grieved, for the joy mm-hmm. of the Lord is your strength. Don't you love that? I love this. I think us Christians, we don't stop and celebrate enough the goodness of God and what he's done for us. The wall is completed, and they stop, and they celebrate, and they actually have a party. We're not going to get to that. They they do this feast of booze where they go camping kind of together and build these booze together, and they eat, and they celebrate, and they have joy together because of what God had done for them, and that joy was their strength. Because God had been so good to them and had blessed them so much, it says that they actually then sent portions out to others. And so when we have experienced God's blessing, what are we doing with it? Band, you can come on up. What are we doing with God's blessing? (laughs) Look around us today. Look what he has blessed us with. To wake up, to have life, to have health, to have strength, to be able to be here, to be able to worship him together, to have friends, to be in community, have family. All these things are God's great blessings, and we're just walking. And what are we doing to share that? So they sent the portions out. They celebrated and gave away, and that's what we call reach, that in the strength of God's grace and in his joy, we share his love with others. God has loved us. He loved us unconditionally. This is the best news in the whole universe. It's called good news. Are we sharing with others God's unconditional love for them, that he loves them, that he is for them, that he made them. He made them to have a blessed life if they would turn from their own waywardness and trust him for their salvation and walk in his ways they've experienced. We want us, because of what we have received, to be a blessing to others. Look at what it says in Nehemiah eight twelve. It says, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why were they able to do that? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Friends, we have to get this thing right. We've got to know the Word. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to allow the Word to do what, it's, what it is created to do. It said like rain that falls on the ground, it seeps in. It breaks up that lower, that fallow ground, and makes it ready to produce something that's going to bring glory to the landowner. And as a result of hearing the Word, they went out and did what it said. And friends, you want to be great in the kingdom? This is how to do it. It doesn't... It, It's not enough to come to church and say we built the wall and went to church on Sunday morning. Let's do and teach what we learn. Ezra said he set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 5, whoever does these things and teaches them, he will be called great. There's the one that will be great in the kingdom. If you do it and if you teach it, 
It's not a matter of I'm going to act right. It's a matter of I'm going to receive the word. I'm going to allow this thing to change my life. And then I'm going to give that out because of the rejoicing the word has brought. So Nehemiah, he had a vision to rebuild the wall. And then he had a plan to get it done. Our vision is the transformation of Christ, real life transformation, we call it, that we know him, become like him by his grace. And our plan is to connect and grow and serve and reach. And our challenge to you this morning is where are you connecting, where are you growing, where are you serving, and how are you reaching? Let's do that together so that we accomplish the goal of real life transformation. Father, thank you for the vision that you've given to this house, the vision of real life transformation, which leads naturally to multiplication. God, we ask for more church plans. But Father, most of all, we ask that we get this thing done right. We, we appreciate the vision, but God, help us to, to do this thing right. What is the plan you have for us? Who are we connecting with? In what ways are we growing? In what ways are we allowing the opposition that comes to life, comes to us in life, cause us to grow? Father, where are we serving? And in what ways are we reaching? Father, I want to ask you, challenge each one of us with these questions. Father, our desire is transformation into the very image of Christ. We want to work well with your spirit, submit well to the work of your spirit in our lives. Dear God, cause us to look like Christ.